Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 166 of the Classic Gaming Podcast. Today's date is August 20th, 2021. I'm Robert Ring, and with me is Mr. Jay Tataru. Hello. Um, quick, before I forget, uh, next episode is going to be Game of the Quarter. We are playing... That's so fast. Yeah, it does seem fast. We're playing uh, Front Mission. This was a super Famicom game. Um, it eventually was ported onto the DS. So that's, you know, unless you play like a fan translation or something of it or something like that, DS is going to be the way to go on this one. Um, oh, yeah. Also, before I forget, I was on the PD's Power Hour podcast. Um, actually, but the episode's not out yet. But Michelle had me on there. She's the host of, of the podcast. And I uh, did that with her last... Well, no, it was like earlier this week. I think it was Monday or something. And that is uh, going to be up probably in a, like a few weeks or something. So I'll let everybody know then. But thanks uh, to Michelle for having me on. That was fun. We talked about whiskey. We talked about, we talked about Four Roses whiskey uh, in particular. We also talked about... Okay, I learned something. She asked me... So the way that the podcast goes is that she tells you about like the liquor or whatever kind of alcohol you're drinking. And, um, she, she asks her guests to bring certain facts about X, Y, about kind of like a few, uh, you know, not random, but, but some only semi related things. She asked me to find some facts. On, one of the things she asked me to find facts on was Kentucky. Did you know, you know, Colonel Sanders, of course, of course, do you know that Colonel uh, that that type of he's he's not like a that's not a military type of colonel that Colonel Sanders was. It's a civilian title that a, a few states give out, like to honor people who are uh kind of like ambassadors of the state. Interesting. Like not not like diplomatic ambassadors, but kind of like brand ambassadors, like people that that like make the state look good. Um. For you know, for whatever reason, he was obviously one of the early uh, Kentucky colonels. The only states that do it are Kentucky, Alabama, Georgia, and Tennessee. I think those are right. And by two by the two thousands, um, the the uh, colonelship, uh, what do you like them giving out colonelships? It's given out by the governor's office. It had gotten so out of control. That by, I think it was 2006 or 2008, they were giving out <laughs> over 16,000 per year. What? <laughs> like, just, just one guy said that he had, like, so anybody can nominate somebody to be a Kentucky colonel, you know, anybody in Kentucky. And, yeah. uh, and it's up to the governor's, governor's office to, like, approve or decline it. One guy said, it was like some old guy, he said over the course of his life, he had nominated over 500 people and not one of them had been turned down. What? One guy, one guy said that he was in line at a bakery and he just like struck up conversation with some random guy next to him. And they talked for like five minutes. And then a few weeks later in the mail, he got a certificate of colonelship. It happened that the guy he talked to happened to be somebody that worked in the governor's office. And he was like, Oh, this is a nice guy. I'm going to make him a Colonel. How bizarre. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That is pretty, that's super cool though. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I remember reading, I think it's either the owner of, of 
KFC or Wendy's wasn't a high school graduate, so they did it later in life just to like encourage young people to go to school. Oh, interesting. Something, something like that. That's cool. Just kind of cool. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, anything? What's new with you? Anything? No, no. Things have been pretty chill. Um, Good. It's been pretty nice, to be honest. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, fuck! I forgot to pull up news. Let me. Check. I don't even know if there is. Okay, I've got a couple of things. I got like two news things. Let's see. What's this first one? Oh, okay. August. Okay, so three days ago, August seventeenth, um, the Space Invaders Invincible Collection came out for Switch. It is. Um, this is according to Destructoid.com. It has 11 variants of the Space Invaders game. It's kind of like, you know, you know how they'll do this with Tetris. It's like an updated version of Tetris and that kind of stuff. It's more or mm-hmm. less that. Um, I believe it also like has the original version more or less. Uh, 60 bucks. What? <laughs> what? For Space Invaders. pack, right? Huh? For like a five pack or something, yeah, or a ten yeah. pack of the game. Yeah. What? So, um, I don't know about that. Good luck on that one. Good luck on that one. <laughs> exactly. That's a triple A price right there. I know. Uh, okay. Um, the other thing it was, what's this right here? Mm. Oh, um, GOG is giving away three games until September 3rd, three classic games. Um, Ultima Underworld 1 and 2 actually 4 games one of, one of them is Ultima Underworld 1 and 2 Syndicate Plus and Syndicate Wars hmm. so uh, those are, are all are you excited by any of those? not really I think I think I actually even have most of these already in my GOG library and just never played them I tried Syndicate one time and Syndicate is supposed to be a very good game but it was like one of those where it's like oh crap I'm going to have to pull out the manual and figure out what all the like every button on the keyboard does type situation. Um, so, but to answer your question, no, not, not especially, but although okay. syndic- syndicate is supposed to be a, a good game. And actually that's all the news I have. There wasn't really a lot of news this time. It's kind of, kind of nice actually. Cause I was going to say last time was pretty news heavy. So I last, think it's uh... last time was news heavy and it was like all bad news. It was all blizzard, all that blizzard shit. So yep. kind of happy to not have to talk about talk about well we don't you don't have anything blizzard related do you no, okay no, i'm good right. this time. <laughs> okay good okay good so uh man i guess it's our already time to jump into the games we've been playing um would you like to go first or do you want me to sure i can go okay Give me one sec to pull up the name. all right cool uh so for this episode of the podcast i play knights of the round which is a, a super nes game um it's an arcade game released by capcom in 1991 uh and it's a side uh, that is, <laughs> this description says loosely based on the legend of King Arthur. Uh, loosely is is uh, <laughs> overstating it. The only thing that, Wait, that so they really this is an arcade game, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. It's like a, it's like a beat 'em up. It's a side a side scrolling beat 'em up. Okay. So uh, it is set in the Crusades, and you can play as three characters, um, which are you know obviously based uh, in the legend of King Arthur. But beyond all beyond the setting, there's not like anything super like. That's making it, I don't know, in that universe, I guess. It's just a, a funny thing to say. Okay. Anyways, 
So uh, there are three characters you can play as, Arthur, Lancelot, and Percival. The characters, so when you initially are at the character select screen, it tells you like what they're really good at. There, there's only two primary stats, so one of them is good at one of st one stat. They're not as good at the other one. There's one balanced one, and then there's one that's the opposite, right? Yeah. So there's basically three, three options, which realistically, playing the three different characters, didn't really notice much of a difference um, in sure. terms of the characters. Some of the abilities have like a little bit of variation to it, but it wasn't enough to where I got attached to playing one specific character. They all felt very similar. Right. So, uh, as I said, you know, this is side scrolling, so you can move horizontally very easily, but moving vertical, kind of like the old uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games. Sure. When you try to move vertically, your characters are a lot slower, and you can generally only hit the enemies, and you can only be hit on enemies at the same horizontal level as you which is kind of annoying because what ends up happening is you'll get in these weird situations where there's one bad guy left and you're standing there and you're just swinging, but you're you're not on the right horizontal level. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. So you're both just whiffing. You're both just sitting there swinging and I'm like, I'm not stopping. If You're, you're going to stop here. You're going to move into my sword and you're going to get knocked down. And so we just do that for like 10 seconds and then I'm like, all right. And then I try to hit them and then I get knocked down and then you, know, you kind of go back into it. So... Uh, obviously, the basic premise of the game, you're just running around cleaning up levels. There's a total of seven levels, um, which the game goes through pretty quickly. And the levels are probably somewhere between like five and eight minutes per level. Usually, there is some sort of event or boss in each of the levels. You can also mount horses throughout the game, very, very occasionally, not all the time. And it's ridiculous. Uh, one of the bosses you fight is actually mounted. And the second you dismount him and take his horse, it's just you can just basically run him in the corner and, and beat him up until he dies. Oh, nice. Which is kind of crazy. The horse is really strong. Otherwise, this game is kind of brutal in terms of how e easy it is for you to die. So you have, uh, most characters have a jump ability. They have some sort of block. And the block is basically like you have to hold down the block button and push the direction correctly based on when somebody's hitting you. And if you do it, you basically get a parry and then you get to do a bunch of free damage. If you hold it too long and they don't attack, your character gets tired and like kind of drops down for a second, leaving you vulnerable. And then you basically can get hit. So there is a block mechanic in it, which is kind of interesting. It took me a little while to get used to it. And it's not great. It doesn't work every time. And the timing is pretty precise. Like the, you basically are trying to do it right when you're about to get hit or right when they're going to attack, basically. And there's very little amount of time for it, which is kind of rough. So you have like the block parry mechanic. You have a basic like sort of attack. You can basically chain it a couple times. And then you have a powerful attack that deals damage to you when you use it. But it does a lot of damage. And that ability is surprisingly, from a strategy perspective, is kind of cool. Because when you go through the levels, if you get hit by a mob twice, you're probably below half health. Like, they hit you that hard. So you probably have, like, four or oh, five wow. hits before you die. When you use the ability that damages you, it probably deals 5 to 10% of your health, maybe. So you're basically sacrificing 5 to 10% of your health to do a ton of damage and, in a lot of cases, save you. Because if you're about to get hit from both directions, you can do it, and it hits both of them. So there's a nice little strategy, a strategic element of using that ability because obviously you don't want to use it too much to where you die, but you can use it frequently enough to keep yourself from taking damage, right? It's kind of like an investment. Gotcha. Uh, throughout the levels, and this is really weird. So throughout the levels, when you're killing things, money will spawn and you have like 10 seconds to pick it up before it disappears. When you do it, it basically converts the money into experience and your character can level up. Okay? Okay. And I was like, oh, okay, there you can level up. That's kind of cool. Yeah. What does it do? It basically just gives you full health. I don't think it does anything else. Oh, I didn't really it notice like my refills your stronger. Health? Yeah, it gives you full health, which is kind of nice. But sometimes if it happens at the end of a level, you're just like, okay, great. I just got full health right as the level's yeah, ending. Yeah, yeah. There's no point to it. So huh. um, there are... Oh, what were you going to say? Nothing, nothing. Oh. Okay. 
there are some different mechanics with like how you can interact with your jump and like your auto attack, like you'd like you'd imagine, kind of like like I said, like Teenage Mutant Turtles. So you can do some nice combos with that. There are some really annoying monsters though, and there's some funny named monsters. There's a monster called Fat Man, and by a monster, it's just a, a enemy, just called Fat Man. Um, there's a guy called Skywalker, which is like a jester, basically. And the jesters are really annoying. They do they throw daggers if you're too far from them, and then they will do jump attacks, and the jump attacks are really hard to block or parry because uh, they so usually end up off the screen. Yeah, so you can't see them as they're coming in. Um, the boss fights are not memorable. They're pretty straightforward. It's beat them up. But there are certain bosses you, you need to use your parry mechanic properly. Otherwise, you can't actually deal damage to them, which is, is pretty annoying. In terms of the characters, uh, I didn't really, I, I, I didn't really favor any of them too much. There, one of the characters has like a sprint ability that I really liked. If you double tap a direction, you can't do it up or down. You can only do it horizontally. But it's pretty nice to get in close to something, especially when you're just trying to avoid getting hit. You can basically get in close and then hit them a bunch of times. So, so it sounds pretty much uh, like a standard one of these arcade beat 'em ups, right? Yeah, there wasn't anything super crazy about it. When you die, you have two lives per level, um, and then. When you die, you switch characters. And I think if you lose a level of all three characters, then you die, I think, permanently, I would guess. I never never had that happen. I only lost two characters at the most. Okay. Um, I'm kind of surprised that there's no girl character to play as, because usually in these games, especially if there's three characters, there's at least one girl to pick from. That is true. That's a good point. That's actually a really good point. Oh, some, some of the other things, too. So there's this part you get to in a couple levels where there's just a barricade in front of you and the arrow's like, go forward. And you're like, okay, so I try to jump the barricade. You can't jump the barricade. So I try to hit the barricade. Can't hit the barricade. And there's a, t oh, by the way, you have time in each level because it's an arcade game. So I was like trying to find the opening on this barricade. And then what I found out is it has a health bar, but it's only on one of the horizontal levels. Aww. So you have to move up or down. So I'm like sitting there and then I finally hit it. I'm like, you gotta be shitting me. Like I, I thought this was just like a delay <laughs> tactic or yeah, yeah. I don't know. I was just really confused. And then when I knocked down the barricade, I'm just like, Okay. Okay, I guess. Like, that was really good. Um, trying to think what else. I think that was about it. The music wasn't anything crazy. The sound effects were okay. They weren't anything to, to write home about. The music overall was just kind of there. It was it was pretty typical. How's like the art and the environments and stuff? The art environment's pretty good. It's uh, pretty. I would say it's a little bit above what you'd expect from a Super Nintendo game. Um, the art styles. It's pretty like unimaginative, unimaginative or like creative. It, but the quality of it's pretty good, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 that makes oh. sense. Yeah. So, not not oh, bad, not bad, nothing special though. It's interesting. I thought this game was gonna be a lot better. I was reading, I was reading like some obscure websites just about different different old school games, and a lot of people mentioned this game as being super fun. I had never played this game at an arcade. I don't even think I've ever remember seeing this at an arcade. So I think it'd be kind of fun, something a little bit different. But yeah, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen this before. Yeah, it's weird. A lot of people were like raving about it, saying it's a really fun beat 'em up, and and I was like, okay, maybe I'll give this a try, and then maybe I'll even try the multiplayer and stuff. But it just wasn't anything special. It had, you know, like with some older beat 'em ups, the movement mechanics are kind of laggy and and slow and not real interactive. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. That this game is plagued by that, which I think is it's probably due to the time, obviously, but it just didn't really do a whole lot for me. Oh, apparently this is being released for the switch xbox one microsoft windows oh it was released back in 2018 oh, okay didn't hear about it then either <laughs> uh most importantly how good is the story <laughs> what story <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay yeah uh so, anything else about it or is that pretty much is that pretty much all that's there? Pretty much it. it's not, not it's, nothing crazy it's but... hard to find a lot to say about beat-em-ups 
Yeah, I was hoping for a little bit more depth, and I was, I was expecting the game to be longer. You know, at least with beat-em-ups, usually you get a good variety of levels, and there's always an elevator level. But with, like, seven... I think it was seven oh, levels. Like just... elevator level. You're right. <laughs> so, yeah. Medieval. Let me see some medieval elevator shit. Medieval. I'll play your game. They could be on, like, a wooden platform that's being hoisted yeah. up, you know, the side of a Horses, castle or something. Like a counterweight or something. <laughs> yeah, shit, sure. that, that sounds great. We, we should make our own game, Robert. Let's do it. All right. We, we know what's next. We'll have to take a break from the podcast, but we can do it. We'll see. All right. Uh, So that's it for you. Yeah. All right. I've got three, again, as usual, two smaller ones and one bigger one. I'll start with the smaller ones. The smallest one is an arcade game that I... I'm I'm a... a, I wouldn't say a big fan of, but I'm a a solid fan of this one. Uh, Burger Time. This this originally came out in... uh, Wikipedia tells me 1982. And most people have probably seen, well, I guess maybe maybe not if you're a younger listener, but uh, most people our age or my age have probably seen this. Uh, I'm sure you have too. It's there. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a single screen arcade, a single screen style arcade game. You are this chef looking guy and it's a, you're, you're running around on platforms trying to basically build hamburgers. The way it works is there's a bunch of platforms kind of like, like the, I guess it's more kind of uh, maybe Mappy Land style than anything, um, although it's it is confined to one screen. Um, if you look, if you just glance at it real fast, it looks maybe kind of like one of the uh, not not Donkey Kong, but Donkey Kong Junior. Maybe where it's got like a bunch of different platforms and you gotta jump from one to to another and all this kind of stuff. Uh, well, although there, I'm sorry, there's no jumping in this one. It's purely just ladders. So. There's lots of platforms. You get to them by climbing up ladders, going over, going across, climbing up another one, going down others. Um, and on certain platforms, there are like ham, like pieces of a hamburger, like the lettuce or the hamburger patty. And they're always arranged. So, so like the first level, for instance, they're arranged so that um, all in one kind of column on, say, the left side, on one part near the top, there's the top bun, and then below that on a platform somewhere, there's the lettuce, and below that a little bit somewhere. I forget if there's cheese or not, uh, but then there's meat, and then, below, be. and then below that, there's another, there's the bottom bun. And when you walk over one, you have to walk all the way across one piece of the sandwich, of the hamburger, it falls down to like land on top of the piece below it. And what you're supposed to do is walk across all of them. And there, there are, there, so there, that's one column, but then there are three more columns of, of hamburger pieces. And when you walk over a part, it falls down to the one below it. So you got to just keep, whenever there's a hamburger piece, a hamburger ingredient, you got to walk across it to make it fall. And you keep doing that over, uh, over and over until all of the pieces for all of the hamburgers have fallen all the way to the bottom and they have formed a full hamburger. While you're doing this, there are little sausages chasing you around, and it's basically just like, don't get hit by the sausages. Uh, you do have pepper that you can shake at the sausages, and it kind of stuns them, and then they can't hurt you for a few <laughs> seconds. Uh, but you only have three shakes of pepper, or three or four, or something like that, so you have very limited use of that. You really have to just dodge them, kind of like Pac-Man style, I guess. But uh, but there it's very hard to dodge them because there are like eight of these things, and a lot of times you will get cornered. Like you will get cornered by them for sure. I could not find a good strategy to keep to keep from getting cornered by these 
freaking sausages. They kept, they would always cut me off in a way to where I just didn't have an escape. So, uh, it's a pretty tough game. I got to the second level and I could not get past the second level. The second level, it it does change layouts. It's not like one of these where it's just, all right, do the same level over again. You know, kind of like Pac-Man or Donkey Kong style. Uh, it does change the different, the second level was like a different shape and two of them, like the two, the two middle hamburgers had farther down to go than the ones on the sides. And, uh, I just couldn't get past that level. So I played this on like a little miniature arcade little thing I was talking about. I was talking about, uh, I was talking one day about how I like, uh, burger time for some reason, uh, like my wife and I were talking about our arcades and she was asking like what old arcades I like arcade games I like. And I brought this one up and then she, she just happened to find like, I don't know, some Amazon listing for like, you know, a miniature little arcade that's, you know, eight inches tall or something like that. And maybe more like five or six and I had burger time on it. So I played it on this little miniature arcade thing. It was, it was a little bit tough, but it was fun. Super cool. Yeah, so uh, it's still it's it's a it's a fun game because it's it's challenging and it's fun. Like it's kind of funny that you're getting chased by sausages and building hamburgers and stuff. Uh, I still like it. It's still fun, but it's it's pretty tough. So uh, so it's not one that I would I would play forever because I just get frustrated with it. I can see that. Yeah, the next one I played is Kicks, spelled Q I X. This was also originally. An arcade game. Uh, it came out in 1981. It's been ported to tons of other stuff. Uh, it was on NES. It was on you know a bunch of like the like I don't know if it was on Amiga specifically, but I think it was on like Amiga and a bunch of those kind of older uh, PC mm-hmm. style things. <laughs> the the version I played was the Game Boy version. I played it. I played it on the 3DS, but it was but it's just a direct port of the game of the of the 1990 Game Boy version. So this is a really cool game. It's one that I had not played, but I had seen it, and it always looked pretty interesting to me. And then a few weeks ago, uh, Gaming J did a video on this on his channel because it's in the Thousand One Games book. And I was watching that, and I was like, "Wow, this really even is maybe a little bit cooler than I than I. It looks a little bit cooler even than I thought." So I, I'm going to give this a try. So. What you do is um, you're drawing line, you're drawing boxes basically. Well, you're drawing lines in with only being able to turn ninety degrees. So on the screen, it's a kind of it's basically a puzzle game. There's this kind of uh, I don't really know how to describe it. There's this kind of uh, thing floating around. There's this kind of object that's made up of several like lines that kind of trail behind each other. And they fly in a random pattern around the screen. Um, And what you're doing is trying to draw boxes along the edges of the screen to take up um, the, the way you pass a level is you draw boxes across. I think it's like. 75 it's either 75 percent or 80 percent of the screen or something like that and once you've covered 80 percent of the screen in boxes then you pass the level and you go on to the next one the um the trick is so you have this little cursor and the cursor only goes along the edge so when you when you first start a level the cursor only goes along the edge of the screen and then at any point you can you can you can move the cursor to wherever you want at any point you can start drawing a box at which point it'll go at a straight 90 degree angle out from the side of the screen or the bottom or wherever it is. And then you turn it whenever you want. And then you have to complete. 
you have to close off the shape you're drawing by going, you know, back down to the bottom of the screen or going all the way across to hit the edge or whatever it may be. You have to stop drawing that before this little shapey thing that's floating around before it touches the line that you're drawing. And if, if it fly, keep in mind again, it's just flying around randomly. If it flies into your line and touches it before you finish drawing the shape, then you lose a life. Now you can do things like it's not just purely boxes and rectangles that you're drawing. Cause you could say you start off at the bottom of the screen. You could go up, then start going to the left then maybe go up some more or start going back down if you're getting a little nervous that he gets close, but then maybe he doesn't, maybe maybe the shape thing turns back the other way. So before you close it off, you turn left again. So you have all these kind of like, it's all 90 degrees, but it's not all just uh, four-sided shapes. It's all uh, kind of square-ish things, but you might go up, then left, then down a little bit, then left some more, then up some more. Um, so you're doing this trying to draw shapes again, eventually your goal is to cover as much of the screen as possible without getting touched. Uh, Once you draw a shape, like on say the bottom of the screen, then you can start drawing from that shape again. You don't have to start back on the very edge of the screen. Anytime you've drawn a shape, you can start from another point on that shape. And it becomes this really fun game of like uh, risk and reward because you'll be drawing a line and you're like, oh crap! Do I think I can? Do I, do I need to turn back in and start heading back to the edge of the screen to, to close this <laughs> off, or can I keep going a little bit more? And and I would inevitably get way too greedy and be like, oh no, I can finish this! I can finish this! Keep going! And then I would get hit by the lion shapey thing flying around, and it would just wreck. You know, of course, it would wreck me, and uh, I would lose a life. But it was really surprisingly fun. Uh, th- that like kind of just very basic risk reward mechanic was was really uh, engaging for me. And also, like, strangely, I don't know if this may, I may be the only person that that this applies to, but I really kind of liked seeing, just looking at the screen when when our level was finished and seeing kind of like, like, it was almost sort of artistic the way that there were all these weird 90 degree uh, lines just kind of seemingly randomly drawn on the screen. But obviously they were done for a purpose. But if you were just to look at it, it would be like, you know, it would just look really random. Um, I just really liked seeing the way that the screens looked when, when I finished every level. But this was a really fun kind of like simple, just, you know, you don't have to think about it too hard, but it, but it's still it still is uh, it's still engaging to play type game. Uh, I would recommend this if you're in the mood for something like, you know, kind of like a quick and easy game that you can play for five or 10 minutes or so. Kind of like something like Tetris. This is like, yeah. for, like <clears throat> this was like Tetris for me. You know, I don't really like Tetris, but this is kind of, this kind of, I feel like is kind of along the same lines, but I, I really enjoyed this one. Cool. I'm glad to hear that. <clears throat> All right. My last one was the main one that I played for this, uh, for this episode. As you know, Jay, I've become the world's biggest RPG fan. Oh yes, of course. I'm I'm more or less alternating back and forth. You know, I'm I'm going through all the Final Fantasy games, and I'm pretty much alternating back and forth between Final Fantasy something else, Final Fantasy something else. So the last RPG I played was Final Fantasy V. So it's time to go on to something else. I played Suikoden. Hmm. So have you ever played any of the Suikoden games? I've watched other people play them. Okay. So I actually played this for the podcast. A very very like like. I'm pretty sure it was in, it was within the first year of the podcast. Um, the reason I, I wanted to play this was because, v- oddly, S- Suikoden 3 f- 
for PS2 was the first RPG I ever played. We've talked about it before. I just had a huge deficit of RPG gaming growing up. I just did not play any of them. And it wasn't it wasn't because I thought I wasn't going to like them or anything. I just never kind of happened to play one of them. Uh, I played Suikoden 3 just kind of randomly on a whim uh, when it came out for PlayStation 2. And I really loved it. Um, and so I want to... Oh, and also, Suikoden 2 is supposed to be like one of the best RPGs ever made. I hear nothing but amazing things about it. Um, so I really want to play Suikoden 2. And I also want to go back and play Suikoden 3 and kind of revisit that one since that was my first ever RPG and I really loved it. So, you know, you know me, before I play those two, I've got to go back and play the first one first. This came out in 1995. It was a PlayStation 1 game. And... Um, so, when I played this for the podcast originally, I got about 12 hours in, and then I stopped there. I got a little bit bored by it. I'll say right off the bat, I feel mostly the same way now, although I, although I did finish it this time. Uh, it's not a bad RPG by any means, but it just doesn't really... Well, I say it doesn't have anything special. It does have some some things cool and different and special about it, but overall, it just it's still kind of a, a little bit dull of a game. So, um, the story is that you know it's, it's kind of a typical RPG story. Your your character, the main character, uh, you are the son of a famous general in this empire, and one day, which is the first like when you first launch the game. The uh, the emperor calls in your uh, calls in your dad. And he says, "Hey, I need you to go off and and you know fight these people up north or, or or something like that." And so you're left behind to kind of start training. And very quickly, you kind of get um, you kind of uh, get caught up with this sort of resistance type group called like a like a rebellion type group called the Liberation Army. At the same time that you learn that the Empire is kind of like bad and doing all this evil stuff and, and you know, things like that. So, uh, big surprise, you end up leading the Liberation Army actually very, very early in the game. It's kind of like one of those, one of those uh, stereotypical video game situations where it's like the leader of the army. I, I won't spoil exactly what happens, but, but she stops leading the army and she basically says like, Oh, I can tell, like, you have it in you to, to lead the army. You have to be their leader from now on. Like, <laughs> you just met her, you know, like that day pretty much. <laughs> so, uh, you end up leading the li- the Liberation Army. So, here's, and that's that's the basic story. Throughout the rest of the game, you're basically kind of fighting against the Empire. You're recruiting other, um, like, other groups of people to, to join your fight against the Empire. Uh, and, you know, you're... you're there's this evil lady who has this, uh, who controls, who has some control over these things called runes, and she's trying to use them, you know, to like just for power and stuff like that. So you want to stop her, stop the empire, and all this stuff. Um, the thing that sets Suikoden apart from other RPGs, and this is true for all of the Suikoden games, or at least one through three. I, I assume four and five do uh, do the same things as well. There are 108 recruitable characters in the game. Jesus. Um, and 
they're called the 108 stars. And the idea is that, you know, like fate selected these 108 people to, you know, be the ones that would help like, you know, change the world or, or something like that. Actually, hold on real quick. I want to write down a note that I just thought of. That's not already in my notes because it's something that I want to talk about. Uh, Let's see. Okay. Um, and so there are 108 recruitable characters. Also, there is a, uh, a castle. So like the liberation army does not actually have its own castle, but, but soon after you, you take control, you, you basically like go to this kind of deserted castle and make it your own. So you, so you have this castle that you're kind of building up throughout the whole game, uh, as particularly as you recruit more and more people. And it's not so much that the cat, the, the castle itself isn't used, uh, like in a battle, any sort of battle type of sense. There's no, you know, there's no parts where you have to defend the castle or anything like that. It's just your base. And it's where you go back to like do stuff. So like one of the things that you get eventually is an innkeeper will come, you'll recruit an innkeeper and they'll come to your castle and have an inn there. So you can, so you can rest at your castle once you get them and save at your castle. And then like later you get a, a shopkeeper will come to your castle and then you have a shop in your castle where you can buy stuff there. So that's, that's the way that you're building up the castle. It's not like in a combat sense. Um, and then there are, uh, there's a rune system, which is like the magic system of the game. And it's kind of, it's, it's pretty much just a basic magic system with, with customization, but it's really confusing the, uh, the terminologies they use. So for a character to use magic, um, every character can equip one rune. You can kind of think of it sort of like materia, but whereas materia would kind of give you, oh gosh, do the characters in Final Fantasy have spells without materia or is everything purely no. based on Okay, 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 then that's how this is. Although but you can only equip one. One per character. And so if they equip a lightning rune, then obviously they'll have lightning magic and you know, and so on and so forth. And then there are other ones that aren't quite as obvious. Like there's one Ah, shit. There's one called, like, for instance, Holy Rune, and it just makes you be able to run. Like, not not flee, but what? just, like, like walk around town faster. <laughs> um, and there's something like that. So they're not they're not all just do this type of damage. Um, and some of them don't even do magic, per se, but they give you kind of, like, str- a stronger attack. So, uh, so there's a rune system where you can attach one rune to a character. But, there are, but here are the, th- the three, like, items that kind of are involved in this rune system. There is the, there's a rune piece and then there's another type of rune piece. And then there is a crystal. These are the three types of kind of rune related items you can get. The, um, the crystal is the actual rune. It's not even called a rune in the game. It's called a crystal. Those are the runes that you attach to somebody to give them fire magic or wind magic or whatever it may be. Then there's rune pieces that you can attach to weapons and it'll just kind of give the weapon like a buff or like, you know, add fire to its attack and, you know, stuff like that. Then there's another thing that's also called rune piece, which is like a consumable item that, that does a permanent stat boost. So it's very confusing. First off that you have two different types of things, both called rune pieces 
And then you have these things called crystals that are the actual runes, and but they're not called runes. I like. I had to look this up before, like when I was writing up my notes for tonight, because mm-hmm. even when I played, I would just kind of. So you, the way you attach them to the, the way you attach the runes to a character is you have to go to a rune, like shop or something like that, and the, that person will attach it for you. I never really learned what was what. I would just go to a rune shop and pull up my my inventory and be like, what can I attach? Okay, here's something. Who can I attach it to? And just do the best I can. And then I would like see, what are these other things? Okay, rune pieces. Can I do anything with this right now? No. Okay, I'll save those for later. The terminology just confused the hell out of me. Uh, also with, with the runes, it uses a spell slot system, not not uh, okay. like not MP. So... Uh, they kind of make a big deal about the runes during the game, but they don't like, except for a few story beats, they don't really, they're not really that important. Uh, it's, it's important. It is important to have one person that has a wind rune because that's the healing rune. Um, and then your the main character gets a, a special kind of rune called the, uh, what is it? The soul eater. And that's that's like a really powerful one, and it has you know story implications as well. But besides that, like I found them to not really be all that. Like it didn't really matter what you had because a lot of the battles were pretty easy, which we'll get to in a minute. So there's the rune system. There's the there's the castle system. There's 108 stars. There are also duels where it might uh, where there's just like one person fighting against another person. And it's not, not like a regular battle. It goes into a um, kind of a paper, rock, scissors type situation where if they do, where you have attack, strong attack and defend. And I think it's like defense beats strong attack, strong attack beats attack and attack beats defense or, or something along those lines. <laughs> but but the, the, and the way you have to tell what somebody is going to do is they'll say something. They'll say like. Oh, now I'm going to give it all I've got. And that means they're going to do the strong attack. Sometimes it's not, sometimes it's not as obvious. Sometimes they're like, all right, get ready for this. But that's kind of unclear whether it's going to be an attack or a stronger attack. And you just kind of have to do your best. So there's that, but but there's not very mental, very many of those. There are like maybe, maybe five duels in the whole, in the whole game. And then there are large scale battles where it's, where it's, um, you, it's, it's, like it'll say at the top of the screen, like the empire or whoever you're fighting has 12,000 soldiers and you have 7,000. Apparently they're these kind of like normies that have, that have sort of joined your, your army in the background. And they're not like anybody, any, they're not like the characters that you've been recruiting or any of that. It's kind of like, uh, Oh yeah, we've all, we've also got these kind of like peons fighting for us or something like that. <laughs> um, and those work the, those work pretty much the same way as duels. It's a paper, rock, scissors situation where there's magic. You can use a magic attack, a, uh, an archer attack or a charge and, uh, magic beats charge, charge beats archer and so on. When you're in these giant battles, you can also do special things. Like if you have merchants, you can try to, they, one thing that they can do, well, one thing that they can supposedly do is go over to the enemy and and recruit some of them to join your side. Although that literally I tried it in every single battle and it did not work one time. So I don't know if it's like one of those Final Fantasy 1 situations where it's just a 0% success chance or what, but it never worked for me. Um you can also do things like 
uh, boost your charge. You can use your spellcasters to boost your charge. Um, and when, and when you do these special things, th- these are actually coming from people that you've recruited. Um, and then the main one that you'll need to use is, I forgot what it's called, but basically you have a few guys go and infiltrate the enemy and they kind of like run over real fast and try to figure out what they're going to do next. And that's really how you win is you find out what they're going to do and you do the thing that counters it and you win the battle. Um, they're all pretty, all of the giant battles are pretty easy. Uh, and they usually you'll win in like four turns max. So they're, yeah, so they're pretty fast and pretty easy. Um, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, it sounds cool on paper, but it just, but they didn't really do it very well. It's it's just not (laughs) very interesting to play. Um, well, uh, you can permanently lose characters in these large scale battles. Like if you take a lot of damage, it's possible that one of the 108 stars will die. And then you've lost that character for the game. Uh, there is, there is a slightly different ending for, for recruiting and keeping alive every one of the 108 stars throughout the game. You don't have to actually recruit all of them. Um, but if you do, you get like the good ending, which is really a letdown for the extra work that goes into doing it. It's like the very final scene of the game is slightly different <laughs> type Ooh. situation. Um, uh, so let's see what else. Um, yeah, you can probably lose characters. So going back to the 108 stars thing, all of these characters, you know, they're, they're spread out all throughout the world. You recruit them in all sorts of different ways. Some of them you just walk up and talk to and they're like, oh, sweet, I'll join. Which is funny because they're like, oh, you're the leader of the Liberation Army? Yeah, I'll join. So you're so in-game, what it is is you're just walking up to people say, basically saying, hey, I'm the leader of the Liberation Army. You want to join? Uh, some people will just join. So And then there's like many different ways that others join. Like some of them, you they want a certain type of item. Some of them are, uh, they want you, like there's a guy who does like a gambling game where you can win money. His is like, if you win 5,000 gold from me, then I'll join. Um, some of them just want you to be stronger. They're like, nah, you're too weak. Come back when you're, when you're stronger, which basically means when you've leveled up some more, um, just, just a lot of just sort of random stuff like that. Uh, then there's, there are plenty that also join just as part of the story. So like, as you're playing some, you know, story wise, sometimes it'll just be like, yeah, Oh, this person's joins. And also even though there are 108 and it does, it is a good bit of work to get all of them, but there are plenty of times also where it's like five people join your party at once. Uh, so it's not as bad as it sounds. Although there are a couple, there's, there's one guy that's totally hidden in a cave in like a, in a dungeon somewhere. He's like through walk. You have to walk through an invisible wall to find him. Okay. So yeah, you would not find him if you were not using a guide. There's, there's one guy that's like kind of hiding behind a castle, but you can kind of see him. So if you just happen to make sure you talk to him, uh, then you get him. Uh, usually you can tell if somebody's recruitable. Well, 99% of the time, if not a hundred percent of the time, you can tell somebody's recruitable because they're, unless they're a bad guy, the people with, portraits are the ones that you can recruit if it's okay. just if it's just a random npc they won't have a portrait and you can't recruit them um so as you recruit them a lot of people are, are used in different ways some of them are people that you're going to put in your party to fight just as you're going through and, and playing the game um 
some of them do stuff for you, as I talked about earlier, in your castle. Like they'll allow you to have an inn in your castle or a store or they'll, uh, you know, like the um, like the gambler guy. He allows he, he just comes to your castle and you can just like, you know, play his gambling game in the castle. Uh, some of them, uh, there are a couple magic users that like once you get them to join you, then they'll teleport you places so you can so you can fast travel instead of walking everywhere. Then there are some that I really don't think do anything. Uh, I like legitimately, I don't think they do anything. Uh, some of them do kind of pointless stuff, but they do like do something like there's one guy who is like the master of uh, like steam baths or whatever. And he just puts a steam bath in your castle and you can go sit in your steam bath and uh, you can decorate the room, but it doesn't actually do anything. Uh, there are also like some, a lot of the people who do one thing, like you, you can't, you can't, uh, so all the hundred people, 108 people that you recruit, not all of them can be in your party, like to actually fight. Like some of them can only do stuff in the castle. Um, and then out of the rest of them, some of them do other things, but you can put them in your party, but they just really suck. So you never want to like, there are some blacksmiths that, that you can add to your party and they're not really that good. They're, you're, they're really just there to be blacksmiths at your castle. But if you want to put it in your party, you can, you're welcome to, uh, and in fact, that's, that's another thing that you have to do to recruit some people. Sometimes you have to like, they'll want to talk to somebody. So you have to have somebody with you, like a certain person in your party when you, when you talk to somebody to recruit them. So that's another thing. That is one part where the, where the blacksmiths come in handy to actually have in your party temporarily. Um, and then of course, as I said, there's, there's some that are just they're straight up, just good at fighting and you, and you want them in your party throughout the game. So you have six people in your party. It's two rows, a front row of three and a back row of three. And they each have, everybody has short, medium, or long range. And so short range, they can only attack from the front. Long range, I believe long range can attack from the front, but I never tried that. I don't know if they can only attack from the back or not. Uh, And then medium can attack from front or back. And of course, you can use magic from anywhere. So you have to take that into account when forming your party. Besides that, uh, it's, it's pretty... It's pretty basic. Like you just kind of pick a few guys that you like and uh, and throw them in your party, and you know just try to balance it the best that you can. But the battles are generally not very hard, so you can kind of just put. You don't really have to give it much thought as long as you're not just like being an idiot about it. <laughs> uh, there is there are unite attacks also. So if you have two people that are kind of like friends or partners in some way and you put them both in your party, then they'll have a special attack that they can do together called a unite attack. Um where you know they do extra damage or something, which there's this one insanely overpowered one that I didn't use uh because just of how dumb it is, but I I use it a little bit, but I remember this from when I first played it. Um there's this one guy who Forget what his name is, but he and and you're in the main character can do a unite attack called like master and hero attack or something like or I don't remember what it was. But when you do the unite attack with this guy, it doesn't take up any kind of spell slot or anything like that. You can just use it any time. They attack every single enemy for three times the amount of damage as you attack one enemy. What? <laughs> so it's like an instant win mechanic? It's an instant win mechanic, yeah. 
Um, I'm not sure if that scales up as you level. Um, like, I don't know if it's kind of like a set amount of damage and then that, you know, that doesn't improve. Uh, because as I said, I really just didn't use it much. Uh, or like, I basically stopped putting that guy in my party when I had him in my party, I would use it, but I, I just kind of wanted to use other, try out other characters. So I didn't have him in my party much, but it was like, why? I was like, why would, obviously it takes a little bit out of it. Cause you're like, why would I ever do anything except for this? Um, <laughs> the, uh, one, one good thing about the, about the leveling and all that is, so say you've kept, you know, the, mostly the same general people in your party throughout for throughout most of the game. If you do want to switch out and start using somebody else, they will level up super fast. You know, if you're in like a area with strong with strong enemies because, you know, they're just one of six people. So it's fine. It really doesn't hurt you to have a weak person or may, or even two weak people in your party. If you go to like a, an area with with high level enemies, they will level up so fast. I had a guy level up eight times after one battle. <laughs> one time. So they will catch up super fast, which is which is really nice because you don't have to worry too much about whether you have the perfect party, you know, going all the way through the game. I did appreciate that. Um, there are a lot of times where you have to have one, two, or three, or four people in your party, like for story reasons, they're like, all right, I'm, co- I'm coming with you. And then you can't take them out. So you only have maybe two people that, two optional people that you can choose from or, or whatever it may be. So there are plenty of times where you can't choose all six or, you know, all five other people in your party. But, uh, but it, it, it is kind of cool to have so many characters to choose from and also still get to use, you know, a fair amount of them in your party. Um, the the part the the so like I think a lot of these ideas are cool, but unfortunately the things that bring it down are that the combat and the story are both pretty dull. Um, the story just like all it is is you continually going places to recruit other group like not not the hundred eight stars, but recruit other you know like uh cult like other like groups of people like other mm-hmm. towns and stuff to, to join to join the liberation army or not necessarily to join them but to like team up with you to fight the empire it's all just back and forth it's, it's all just you convincing other people to, to join your cause and then you occasionally fighting the empire and nothing there are like a few kind of interesting th- things that happen in the story but nothing nothing particularly interesting like at one point you do have to eventually face your father, who, who, as I mentioned at the beginning, is like a famous uh, general for the Empire. That part's kind of cool, but like they really didn't play it up very much. So it almost happens as like it could have just been anybody the way it, the way it plays out. Hmm. Um, so there is that. And then there's one, one part that I did find kind of touching is like right before you're about to kind of go on this, you know, sort of final it's big all-out attack against the empire everybody's kind of getting rest for the night and mm-hmm. it shows all these people who have met each other it kind of shows like kind of jumps around and all these people's kind of rooms in the castle and then like talking like with their friends and stuff about like you know what all they've been through and about like what the day's going to be like tomorrow that was really kind of nice but honestly those are really the only memorable parts to me a lot of it was just really basic rpg story like come help us fight the empire. Oh, if I'm going to help you, you got to do this for me. All right, I'll go kill this dragon or whatever. Now will you come help? Okay, let's do it. 
type situation. So there, there wasn't anything there. And then, as I said, the combat is really very easy. You don't have to, I mean, I don't have any, uh, I'm trying not to be like too delusional and expect like highly strategic RPG battles or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I could just mash X on basically every battle and, uh, and get through them, you know, except for some of the boss battles. And I I guess I will give it that. Like I did have to make sure I did have to make sure that all my gear was upgraded. Uh, You know, anytime I went to go do something new because otherwise it would have been a lot tougher. And sometimes I did have to like, just play this dude's gambling game to win a lot of money so that I could, cause it, cause upgrading your weapons is super expensive. And so I guess to be fair, it would have been more difficult if I hadn't spent a lot of time just grinding this gambling game to get more money to upgrade weapons. It, w- it would have been tougher. Um, which by the way, when I say upgrade weapons, I literally mean upgrade the character's weapon. You don't ever get new weapons for your characters. Really? Yeah, because it makes sense because there are 108, well, not 108 playable characters, but, you know, say like dozens of of characters you can have in your party. Um, The way that they handle this is you go to like a blacksmith and they upgrade the character's weapon. It's called sharpening, (laughs) but it's like it doesn't matter if it's a if it's a sharp weapon like your bow staff, for instance, you sharpen it to make it better. Uh, there's a guy, I think that has like a mallet or something like that. And you sharpen the mallet, but that's just the terminology they use. You know, it would be kind of, they, they want the characters to kind of have their own, uh, their own like personality and, and use their own type of weapon. I think that like they, they're kind of designing the weapon as something that the character would use. That's kind of part of the mm-hmm. character design. And it would be pretty much impossible to do, to do that for dozens of characters in an RPG with like tons of different weapons. So I understand why they do it this way. But it does take away the cool factor of like, oh, sweet, I found this, you know, this badass weapon from killing this boss or like I found it in the secret area or something like that. You, you don't ever you don't ever get new weapons. You just once you get enough money, you can go to the blacksmith and have them upgrade the character's weapons, uh, which, as I said, does get insanely expensive. Like like you can't eat, like you max out the the maximum amount of gold you can carry is nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine. And there are times where I would just be like, all right, I'm going to upgrade all my guys' weapons and I would spend all that money and then go have to win more money and then go back and upgrade it more. Like Ooh. that, that, that is not enough to upgrade everybody in a, in a six person party. So, uh, yeah. So overall, like the battles were, were very easy. Even the boss battles, only one, like I can only think, I think like only one, maybe two were, were tough. Um, so like it kind of sucked just that, like there was nothing like they had different mechanics, you know, from other RPGs. I, I think it's cool that they did this stuff with hundred eight stars with the castle, with the battles and all that stuff, but none of it really pays off in the, in the combat and story don't make it worth it. Also like story wise, there are so many times where you defeat a bad guy from the empire and he was maybe like a high ranking person, like a general or something sure. like this. And then you're basically like, so do you want to join us now? And they're like, okay, uh, I was, I was led astray by the empire. They, you know, I, I wasn't thinking right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll join you. But there's, it's like there were, there is no character who's, who was 
just a bad guy. Like I, every single one was like, oh, I can, you know, th- thank you for bringing me to my senses. Can I, can I join you? Or like, I don't deserve to join you. Just kill me. And then you can like choose whether to recruit him or not. Or not. Of course, you don't get the good ending if you, if you don't recruit him. So, and there's even one person at the end of the game who says, who's like, you know, no, I, I don't like you. I'm never going to join you. And then you can recruit her anyways. And then you recruit her and she says, okay, I'll go with you. But the only reason I'm coming with you is so I can, is so I can watch when you die. It's like, why are okay, you letting brother. me, why are you letting me recruit this person? Like, am I just like the nicest guy on the entire planet that I'm recruiting a girl who's who isn't going to fight for me. She doesn't like me and she only wants to be recruited so that she can see me get killed by her friends. And you're like, yeah, come on, let's do it. Let's go along. You're just that you've said that much charisma. <laughs> I guess so. There's, Oh man. One thing that the game does I almost forgot about this. That, that really annoys me is there are many, many, many times throughout the game where it gives you uh, like a dialogue option on how to respond. you have, you know, two, two choices. But you can only pick one of them. And if you pick the other, then it just keeps repeating it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've seen that. Uh, it, it's really annoying. I I, I think I kind of understand why. I think they're kind of making it feel like you have some some sort of agency over the character. But, but it comes across that it's trying to trick you into thinking you can influence the story when you really can't. Um, they'll be like, oh... If you say, no, we're not going to do this, and they basically convince you why you should do it. And then you have the same two options again, and it keeps on repeating the same thing until you pick you know, the, the right answer. So that gets annoying. Um, I think that's pretty much it. The, the, I will say the story moves forward. Even though the story isn't great, it moves forward pretty steadily. Um, that com- And so there are, there's no times like where you are Final Fantasy style going through a dungeon for an hour or something like that. Um, There's also, as I said, really no grinding, um, which is also nice. Uh, So everything does move along at a pretty good pace. I think the game, I think I finished it in about 23 hours, maybe 24. Oh, it's that short. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's not super long. And, uh, you know, it is cool that you can customize your, your party, you know, to, to a much larger extent that you can in like probably just about any other type of RPG. Um, and, and I, and I, one thing I left out is also that the music is, is surprisingly effective. N- none of them are songs like you're like, Oh, that remember that song, like, you know, in Chrono Trigger or final fantasy six or something like that. But I did find that it was really, it really fit the situation in, in most circumstances. So they did a, like a subtly very good job with the music. I'll say, um, and the game had some good things about it, but overall it was just, it was just pretty dull and I, I would never, I, I didn't like hate it, but I wouldn't, there's no reason I would ever go back and play it. Wow. It, it's just, I, I thought it was longer than that. I didn't realize it was only 23 hours long. Yeah. This one's short. I don't know. I, I imagine Swickadon 2 is more like 40. I'm going to look it up real quick. Okay. I, uh, I know three was, was pretty long, but, but then again, I played that. I think I played that. Pretty sure I played that one without a guide when I played it originally. So I think that one was more like 40 hours. Let's see. Swinging 2 is is uh, 34 hours. Okay. So like 10 more. Yes. Uh, actually, it says. So, okay. 
I don't know on how long to beat. I don't know what the difference between. So main story is pretty obvious. I don't know what the, what main plus extra and completionist is. I don't really know what the difference between those two are, but it says 34 hours. If you just do the main story, 43 hours, if you do main plus extra, I think that probably means getting all of the characters and then completionist, which I'm not sure what the difference there is. It says 53. That's probably like you max out everybody's stats or something crazy like that. So probably 43 is what I would bet for Swicked in 2. Because on Swicked in 1, it says 24 and a half for main and extra. And that's how long it took me. So it says, see, oh man, Swicked in 3 is long. It's uh, 67 hours for main plus extra. Wow. Okay. But uh, yeah, I don't really recommend it. For for all the things it tries to do differently, it 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 all it ends up to still be a pretty dull game. Okay. All right. Um, well, it's already time for um, emails. We only you want to pause the recording to make sure we're good, or are we good? Nah, we're good. If we okay. if we're if we if we've gotten this far, then we're kind of screwed, anyways. Oh, Robert, I love you. I forgot to tell people on Twitter until two days ago that we're recording early this time. So we have an email from Chase, and then also Chase sent in like a voice email about our, our final fantasy discussion from last time when Travis wrote in and asked, you know, what is it that makes the final fantasy game so popular? Um, I'm not going to chase you, chase you chase. Thank you for sending that in. Um, and also you have, we already knew this, but I was reminded about how great of a podcast voice you have listening to it. I, I did my own summary of your, uh, of your voice email. So I'm going to kind of talk about what, what you said in just a minute, but for, but first I'm going to let, uh, Jay read your, the email email that you sent, which looks like it's uh, actually a pretty short one. So Jay here is, I'm going to send this one. I'm going to DM this to you directly. Oh, you're going to DM directly. Wow. <laughs> Um, Chase, uh, so the title of the email, I believe, is My Thoughts on Blue Shoelaces. Is that right? Uh, no, that's just that's the actual first sentence of the email. Okay. Well, Chase says, My thoughts on blue shoelaces. I am far more concerned with functionality. If they do the trick, I'm down to clown. Thanks as always for all that you do and for this wonderful <laughs> little part of your show. Cheers and talk again soon. Okay. Chase and I clear. I just remembered that I said <laughs> something about that on Twitter when I on my email to. I was like, you know, send in your emails. Make sure you tell us about your thoughts on blue shoelaces or something along those lines. I I had forgotten about that until just now. So that's that's where that came from. Nice, nice, nice. Thank you, Chase. Um, okay, so as I mentioned last time in our emails, Travis, aka Nest Friend, asked us to if we could enlighten him as to what it is that makes that's made the Final Fantasy franchise in general so popular and we were kind of stumped because the consistency is not great um also the style kind of varies greatly from one to another uh you know like i guess the first six were all kind of standard rpgs then seven is way different than eight's pretty different the nine kind of goes back to standard uh tens kind of like in between so they kind of jump around like as far as like style goes as well. So we couldn't figure out like what it is that 
has made it such a kind of uh, famous franchise among RPGs. So uh, Chase sent in his thoughts, as I said. And uh, Chase, the way I have distilled down what you said to us was, where are my notes? Okay, so one thing he points out is that uh, a large amount of it is nostalgia. One thing one thing that was kind of pretty interesting and, and important that I think he noted is that outside of people ages maybe rough, roughly 25 to 40, it's actually not a hugely popular franchise. And uh, I mean, I don't have anything to deny that or back that up, but I, I think I agree with him. I think I would agree that it seems like it is kind of confined to to you may maybe a generation or or some kind of age range where there are people outside of that that like aren't as kind of uh enthralled by the final fantasy series in general i think i think well, i agree with that i i agree with that piece of it i don't agree that it's necessarily nostalgia though i, I mean there is i was talking to my brother about this today i mean each generation seems to have a certain interest in type of games like if you look on the front page of twitch right now the most popular games that are on Twitch now are games that I would never play. It's like the next generation of gaming is all about battle royales. Like there's a there's a new samurai battle royale. I was done with battle royales five years ago whenever they started. Okay, yeah. Like I, I think I think I think there's definitely some truth. Like because uh, for a while there, a lot of people were complaining about JRPGs because of turn-based combat, and they're like, oh, this is so dated and boring. And and for me, I still enjoy turn-based combat a lot. So it's interesting it feels like each generation wants to do something a little bit different when it comes to gaming and i feel like that's that has more to do with it than nostalgia because i mean there are oh, some oh, oh, fantasies oh, that i've never played oh, before oh, in the oh, first time oh, I... oh, sorry oh. i don't want to interrupt you but the only reason i am interrupting you is because I, i'm kind of going somewhere with that nostalgia is not the thing it kind of like plays into other things that okay this nostalgia was not was not his point it was kind of like the beginning of his point so okay. you hold that thought and then let's come back to what you were saying in just a second. Sure. What he was saying is that nostalgia sort of combined with the fact that back in the day, you know, among the the like the 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 first Final Fantasy games, as we grew up with them, particularly in the West where we didn't get every single one of them, they um, kind of improved constantly. Um, the fourth one was better, you know, which was the second one we got. That was a huge iteration on the very first one. Then Final Fantasy VI, which was the third one we got, was a big improvement on that. Then Final Fantasy VII was a monumental improvement on that. So for, gosh, like a decade, I guess, we had these, we had this game, which not only was one of the first RPGs that, that many of us were exposed to, but it seemed to get incrementally and in some cases almost exponentially better every single time they released a new one. And so that kind of uh, combined with the fact that it was one of the, again, one of the early JRPGs that we were exposed to, if not the very first one in, in many of our cases, Along with the nostalgia from the in the in the point of in the in the in the sense that we grew up with them, we kind of started with these and grew up with them along with their improvement. I think well, he and I think I agree with him 
is saying that that's kind of what those of us in this general age range, that's why we kind of view it as this big, huge, amazing thing. Even if there are plenty of them that we don't think are good, we we have a positive view of the series as a whole because we were kind of conditioned for 10 or 15 years that, wow, the, this just keeps getting better and better and better. Even if, you know, maybe after seven, maybe eight wasn't good. But then even after that, nine and nine and 10 were amazing for so long, for the most part in general, they just kept improving. And again, that happened as we grew up with games, as we grew up with RPGs, it, everything kind of just aligned perfectly for us to, uh, again, in this, in this gener- in that generation, that age range to, uh, to have a good view of them. All right. Now I'm going to stop talking and you go back and say what you were going to say. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm too, too late. I'm too, too good on that topic. But I was going to say one, one <laughs> thing that I've always kind of noticed with, with Final Fantasy games is, you know, there were what, two to three per console as, as we came up. And it was always interesting to see, you know, the first iteration for a console, the second iteration, sometimes the third iteration for a console or the third, third uh, installment of it. It was always interesting to see the growth that they went through. You know, you think of seven was the first one for PS1 and then there was eight and then there was nine, like how much growth there was from, from the beginning of the PlayStation to the end of it. It's it's kind of interesting to see that that uh, kind of you're talking about the incremental growth, but it was such a such a big jump whenever they went to a new system in yeah, most cases. It really was, and I think that's an important thing that I that I didn't consider. He points out that Dragon Quest came before Final Fantasy, but it didn't really improve. At least, I mean, it did, but not in the way that the Final Fantasy games did. Yeah, or a lot at least, of innovation. Yeah, or at least not, or at least as far as the ones we got. And then he says there was. Shin Megami series, but that wasn't localized. So that doesn't apply to us, you know, basically at all, as far as this goes. Um, but you're, you're, that's a really good point. Also, I hadn't thought about that, about getting to see how they improve just over the life of one console. Um, I started playing six just a few days ago. Now, now that I finished Suikoden, it's time for me to go back to final fantasy again. Uh, so I started playing six and I and that was one of the first things I noticed about it. I was like, holy, this looks so much better than Final Fantasy IV, which was the first Super Nintendo one. Yeah. Like, it's almost like, is this really the same console? It just looks eons better. So, yeah, um, I think you're totally right about them improving over the course of even just individual consoles seeing how, how, how big of a jump they kind of made from, from the first one to the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you agree with what, with the, with what I've distilled Chase's argument down to? Does, does that, do you think you agree with that? I mean, I, I think I agree with him. I think to some extent. Yeah. I think it, it's very interesting to think about. And I, I was kind of thinking through this, like if we had not grown up with grown up with final fantasy, I wonder if there would have been a, a different series that would have maybe kept our attention more. And we would have been more into that type of series. Cause I definitely played RPGs or JRPGs in particular, you know, throughout my entire childhood. I wonder if I didn't play final fantasy one when I did, if I would have continued to play through the series and maybe not stuck to a different, different game style. Okay, so you're saying like, say, if Final Fantasy just never existed, would there, would one of the other series that's out there be yeah. be what how we view Final Fantasy now? Yeah, exactly. That's an interesting thought. Um, I feel like there 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 may be. I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe there would be, but I don't think it would be as strong. I don't think it would have as strong as that 
uh, of that kind of cultural pool that that Final Fantasy has had. I, I don't think it would have such a widespread, you know, general positive uh, view just because there was nothing that was that that did this as good as Final Fantasy did at the time. Yeah, Final Fantasy for a long time was one of the few series where when a new one came out, I bought it every time and yeah. I tried it. And it, it, there was a long time where that was the that was the case. And there are there are only a handful of series that I've ever done that with. So definitely definitely has a big impact. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that Chase, thank you again so much for your thoughts. Um, and and if and if you think I've uh, let, all, for, please let us know whether you think I was accurate in in kind of how I again this was this was an eleven minute long argument that I kind of just uh, concentrated down into a few minutes. So uh, tell me if I was accurate in in kind of what I brought out of that or not. Um, especially if not, cause I'd, I'd like to hear what I got wrong based, you know, as opposed to what you said. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much. That was actually really, um, really interesting. And I, and I, and I, again, I think I really agree with, with your points, uh, assuming your points are, uh, assuming I did <laughs> understand them correctly. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Assuming I got them right. Uh, that was, that was really interesting to, th- to think about it in that way. Um, but yeah, uh, that's, those are our emails. For this episode, this is going to be the shortest episode in classic gaming podcast history. Under two hours, can we do it? <laughs> it's it looks like it's probably going to be under an hour and a half. Um, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We got current gaming subcast. Do you have much? Do you, what do you want to say here? What yeah. do you want, all right, let's hear. Yeah. It. So, so you remember how we were playing Icewind Dale, and I was like, man, I really like playing these these sort of CRPGs. Like they're they're very fun, and I I really want to play some of the newer ones. Yep. Well, uh, I, I Lisa bought Divinity for the Switch, and I, I played it on PC for a while, and I had a lot of fun playing with other people. But I, uh, I watched Lisa play a little bit off and on because she played. She probably spent I don't know fifty to hundred hours on it, if not more. Wow. Um, so I started picking up and playing, and I've tried it a few times, but I haven't really like, sat down to actually like dedicate time to it. And being on the Switch is really nice because when I'm on my computer, I'm usually like in Discord or doing other things at the same time that distract me. So when I play it, generally I'm like just solely focused on it. It is really good. I mean, the story is very interesting. The characters are very creative, and the the archetypes of each class—well, not each class, because you basically can build any class you want. Right. Um, it's very fun, and it's it's obviously turn-based. It's tactical. There's a lot of of thought that goes into everything, and you can change your class any any time you want. You just go to this place, and you can basically redo your entire character from from start to finish to wherever you are to basically change them. Like you can be a warrior at the beginning of the game and turn into a caster, like towards the end of it, if you want to. So there's a lot of freedom in that regard. But the most uh, in, uh, most enticing portion of it is it is so unbelievably difficult. Like it is. Oh, yeah. You will do the same battle multiple times, multiple times, just trying to like figure out what the right thing to do is, like different different strategies. And there's so much stuff that's within the environment that interacts with you, and there there's just so much to it. It is unbelievable. Like every time I play it, I'm like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Like I didn't I didn't know you could do this or that. And you can use any item you have in your bags during during combat as well. So there's you know a good amount of strategy there. It's it's just crazy how how deep it is. Um, so far, I'm twenty something hours in, like twenty two, twenty three hours in. And I bar- feel like I barely scratched the surface. So Does definitely, uh, definitely going to spend a lot of time. This is the first one, right? Is that what you said? Second one. Oh, the second one. Okay. Yeah. Um, did you play? The, did you, you already said, wait, did you say, I remember you talk about Lisa playing the other one. Did you play the first one? Uh, she she played this one as well. So oh, I don't she think played you, this uh, one. Okay. Played the first one. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, oh, so, you so you didn't play the first one. 
No, no, I have not. I may at some point though. I mean, if I play through this and really like it, it's it's probably gonna be hard though. I mean, all the quality of life stuff that exists in this game versus like say Icewind Dale, which yeah, is a drastic yeah. difference. You know, it, it'd make it really hard to go back to play some of those CRPGs. Well, just because the first of, one came out just like five or six years ago. Even still, I'm sure there are things that I will really miss. I I, I don't know for, cer- you're for right, certain. You're right. Even you know, like there's gonna be certain things and be like, oh shit, that doesn't exist in this game, and you know that might might actually be a deal breaker. Like this game feels so like well-rounded like it, it feels so complete so i think you're probably um, right i think I, I i haven't played the second one but the first one i remember being kind of tedious at parts it was a really good mm-hmm. game but it had a lot of stuff where you're just like all right now i gotta just run around and talk to every single person to try to figure out you know what to do type situation you, um, you can kind of do whatever you want in this game to be honest like there there's a main story and like at a certain point obviously you know if you have to get off the island you have to get off the island but you can get there 55 different ways and each way has its own little arc to it you can just walk around killing people if you want ultimately you're gonna get your shit pushed in but it's you know yeah yeah it's very fun the combat awesome. is very interesting so cool anything else not as of right now, no. Okay, I've been playing two games a good bit lately. One of them is Jupiter Hell. Uh, this solidified for me why I don't play games in early access. Interesting. This, this is a game that had that has been in early access for a very long time. Well, I say very long time, like five years maybe. That's a decent amount of time, to be honest, yeah. for, for early access. And I finally, like two years ago or something like that, I think it was about two years ago, I was finally like, I'm done. I'm This game looks really cool. I'm tired of waiting for it. I'm just going to buy it in early access. I, I typically don't like early access games just because I don't want to invest a lot of time in it and then be like, oh, now the real versions come out and then I have to go play it back again. I just want to play it when it's complete. This one was seeming like one of those that was just going to be an infinite early access. So I was like, well, fine. I, I want to play this. I'm finally going to do it. And I bought it back then and played it. And I had fun for a couple hours. And then it kind of got, kind of got to be the same. It's a run-based game. Every run kind of ended up feeling the same. And there wasn't much difference in like the character builds and that kind of stuff. So I got tired of it. Well, it finally was released a week or so ago. And, uh, I wasn't really planning on playing it cause I didn't, I figured probably not too much has changed, but I keep hearing tons of people talk about how awesome it is. So I was like, well, maybe I'll give it another shot. And I played it and it is so much fun now. It is. So the, the premise of the game, so it's made by the guys or the guy. Um, I think it's, I think it, it's pr- primarily one developer. Of course he had, you know, other, other people working with him, but the main guy who's in charge of it made doom rl which is literally just doom the roguelike uh which he eventually had to change its name because uh the owners of doom were like hey you can't you can't do that (laughs) you can't just name your game doom (laughs) so i think he ended up calling it drl or something like that um and that was an ascii based roguelike where you where it's in a doom type setting so instead of you know like brogue or you know rogue or uh What's the what's the fucking what's the other big one? Um, uh, NetHack. Oh. Instead of it being like you know a fantasy setting, it was a, a doom like setting where you're on a uh, another planet and there's a bunch of demons and stuff, and you're using guns and you know instead of swords. Uh, it was pretty. I've played it. A, I've played that one a little bit, and it's really cool. Well, 
they did, he did, he decided to make like a more like a non ASCII kind of a more not triple A but kind of like I guess single A maybe maybe double A version of, of that type of game with like full graphics and, and all that kind of stuff. That game became Jupiter Hill, and that's what this is. Okay. It's it's basically the same thing, but it it's it's a game that you don't <laughs> that, that 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 uses real real fucking graphics and not just not just ASCII characters. And it looks it really does look good. It's still a tile based, turn based game, um, but it it kind of if you're just playing it, it it looks no different from you know kind of any any other game. It just happens to be that when you move one square. Uh, everything stops until you move type situation. So if you're just sitting there, nothing's happening. And when you move, all the other bad guys move and that kind of stuff. And it's it's very, uh, you are, again, it's very, it's still very heavily inspired by Doom. It's basically, he more or less just is making Doom and not calling it Doom. There are, you're on this, you're on uh, Jupiter, of course, this, this base up there that's been inf- infiltrated by demons and things and, there are soldiers that have kind of like turned into demons and that kind of stuff. And they're shooting at you and you're shooting at them. It's very, uh, cover based, uh, gameplay. So it's, it's tactical. Of course it's cause it's turn-based. It's very important to get behind cover while you're shooting at guys. It's, uh, you'll, you'll find different types of weapons that have different types of like perks on them, which will kind of, uh, determine what, what build you're going to go for on an, on any given run. And it is a run-based, it is an actual roguelike, so when you die, you're, you're dead for good, and you have to start all the way over. But uh, it is really, really good. It's it's really fun. Um, I, I recommend playing on hard if if you've played roguelikes before. That's what I've been doing, and it's, it's pretty challenging. But it's not crazy hard. It's just you really do have to think about, you know, every movement. You know, am I going to, like... Even as so much as, like, what angle am I going to open this door from? Like, where could I run backwards and get to cover fastest from and that kind of stuff if there's, you know, a bunch of bad guys right there. So uh, it's really cool, like, building out your character. And as you level up, you you kind of uh, choose different perks for your character, like maybe he, you know, like, defensive perks or ones that allow you to shoot while you move or reload faster and stuff like that. All this kind of stuff. You uh, are, you're building up your build as you play, getting, finding weapons that have different perks and that kind of stuff. And it's just, uh, it's a very fun game. It's a very challenging game. And it's, it's just, uh, I, I, if you like roguelike games, you will probably like this one because it's a really good one. Uh, one other one that I've been playing. Have you ever heard of this series? It's an RPG series. Well, kind of an RPG series called uh, Atelier. A- I think so. A-T-E-L-I-E-R. Um, I just heard about this recently and it's, gosh, I don't know when the first one came out. I want to say I could be totally wrong. I think the one... I think the installment I'm playing is if 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 it's not the first one, it's one of the first ones, and I and it came out on PS3. I could totally be. Oh no! Okay, the first one came out for PlayStation. What whichever one I'm playing, I think the one I'm playing, which is Atelier Rorona. I'm pretty sure that one originally came out on PS3. Yes, I'm looking at it right now. I found it. Atelier Rorona, The Alchemist of Arland. It was originally a, a PS3 game. This is a big series with like 15 entries starting from the PlayStation and going up to... I think there's going to be a new one coming out like later wow. this year even. Um, 
you are a uh, this girl who works who, who she, she you're an alchemist basically, and the whole point of the game is the the, the premise is okay you're this kind of apprentice alchemist, and uh, the king of your like the the kingdom that you are in he's gonna shut down your alchemy workshop. Uh, unless you can, or like he's, he's he's about to shut it down, but he's given you kind of one last chance to prove yourself that that this workshop can can be useful for the kingdom, and uh, he's and you're and they're giving you uh, like tasks to do throughout the course of the game, and they'll say, okay, you have one month to create like a bunch of food items, or you have one month to create you know uh, these specific items, but you have to make them as high quality as possible, and if you don't make them all then we're going to destroy we're going to shut down your workshop or if you but if you do then we'll give you another chance and the whole game is just going through you have a month to create you know certain types of items and then if you succeed then they're like great now this is what we want next time and then you just create the new items next time um, the way you get them is you go out uh, this is like the RPG RPG portion of it you go out to different like areas outside of the kingdom like the woods or the mines or whatever it might be and you're killing bad guys, and also you're getting some ingredients, like as you know, from killing a bad guy. Like you might kill a wolf, and you get fur, for instance. But also, you're going around and, and just harvesting plants and stuff that you find while you're running around in these areas. And the plants, you know, will give you other stuff that that you can that you can craft with. Then you get back to your workshop. You craft. Even just crafting takes like a certain amount of days most of the time. So everything that you do, you know, whenever you go out to to harvest stuff or or even as, if it's just to kill monsters and level up your character in that fashion, that all takes up time. When you're back at home in your workshop, when you are crafting things, that all takes up time. And you just have to make sure you you satisfy whatever it is that they want you to do in the, certain, in the amount of time that you have. Um, you know what game this reminded me of a whole, whole, whole lot? Uh, Reketeer. Oh, okay. I think you would like this a lot. Okay. It's it's very similar. And in fact, in fact, it made me want to go back and play Reketeer again. Wow. <laughs> because when I first played Reketeer, I don't know if you remember this, but I didn't really like it. I know you're a big fan of it. Um, I didn't like it because the combat was very simple. Mm. Um, but playing this one, the combat is also very simple. But I kind of realized... That in these types of games, the combat is almost kind of just a mini game. It's really not a. It kind of has to be simple, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the point is not to have challenging combat. The point is to kind of ration out your time and your resources, and figure out, okay, am I gonna? Do I need to use these resources to build better gear, or you know, so I can go out and find more stuff, or should I use them to craft things, or? Should I, um, this, this healing salve that I made, should I keep that for myself for battle or should I like sell that to get more money to buy other things? It's all sort of like the, 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 the combat is not the point. The point is deciding what you need to use and take with you in combat. And it's all like the, the point is resource management, uh, and, and how combat plays into that. It's not combat for combat's sake. Which I kind of realized that playing this one, and I was like, man, now I really want to go back and give Reketeer another shot now that I sort of feel like I have like the right mindset for it. But uh, 
it's like very kind of cute in the sense of uh it's kind of like not like chibi cute but like uh oh gosh i don't even want to say this and this is a, even kind of an oxymoron but like waifu cute <laughs> sort of <laughs> Like your char- like the main character is is a very kind of innocent, naive girl type situation, um, and in fact, there's not a whole lot of stuff like this. But when I like one of the first things that happened when I when I played the game is you know of course there's like lot, like not a lot but little side stories going on with like the characters that you meet while you play through the game. So it's not just oh crap I got to save my workshop from getting shut down, but it's like you meet a new character. Like I just met a character who has these two magical cats that follow her around and they do little shows where she's pretending that they are, or she's, she's telling everybody that they're like uh, puppets that she's controlling and everybody's blown away how she can control them so crazily. So like, that's a little side story that's kind of popped up. So there's, there's all these little side stories that pop up while you play. But uh, one of the things that happened very early on was your, uh, your master at the workshop who is, uh, she's this girl named Astrid. You're talking to her and she says something like, oh, do you, do you think you need to like, you seem stressed. Why don't, why don't you sleep in my bed with me tonight? Oh. <laughs> and she's like, no, why would I want to do that? I just want to sleep by myself. Blah, blah. And she's like, okay, well, you know, uh, you know, it's the offers there if you want. And then like shortly after that, your character's upset about something. And, uh, the, and she, she always, she, she always calls her master. Her master oh. says, yeah, her master says, um, are you uh, are you mad about what I did to you while you were sleeping last night? <laughs> what the hell kind of games are you playing, Robert? And she said, and she says like, no, like what did you do? And she goes, oh, don't worry about it. Uh, by the way, you know, I so like you know, blah blah blah, nothing. Don't worry about it. I was just joking. And then later on in the conversation, you talk about how you're gonna go off and like, I forgot, see your parents or go somewhere. She goes, okay, well, uh, you know, when you get back, if you're tired, I'll make sure to leave a big empty space in, in my bed if you if you want to come climb in. <laughs> So like, but, but but nothing like that has happened since. The only other thing similar to that is there's a character named Esty, okay. And then once you talk to her for a second, you find out that her last name is D. You get it? No. Say it all together. I did in my head. STD. Ah. Uh. So, uh, but like every, those two things happen within the first 15 minutes of the game or less and nothing like that has happened since. So when I got, I was like, okay, I really didn't know I was getting into this, but then nothing like that has happened anymore. So it it seems to be, they they do that stuff, but they do it sparingly. So don't let let, let that, like, it's not the next honey pop or anything like that. It's, uh, it's, it's legitimately a really like, for me, it's a very relaxing game. And, and I've heard people use that term on games a whole lot before. And I've never really had a game that I felt like was really relaxing to play. You probably have. It seems like everybody has besides me. Sure. Uh, but even that one, like I always would kind of play it in sort of a stressful way. I feel like, but this one, I'm like you know what? I can really just relax and chill and play this for a while. Like just craft some stuff, go off and do some really easy like battles and, you know, in a dungeon while I'm harvesting like ore and stuff like that. Then go back and build more things. Uh, it's really like a pleasant kind of cute, just relaxing game to play. So, uh, I would recommend it. Just know that it's not, it's not like a 
high stakes type situation. It's very, it's a very lighthearted game. Very casual. Very casual. And, and I really do think I'm going to go give Reketeer another shot after I, after I finish <laughs> this one. I think I have like, I think I'm like 15 hours in or so. I'm pretty far into it. And, uh, I like it a lot. Good. Well, um, ah, oh, that just put us over the hour and a half mark. I Way did to go, it. Robert. I did it. Jay, do you have anything else to say before we sign off here for the shortest episode in classic gaming podcast history? I'm going to go to bed early. <laughs> Earlier than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, you're not going to stay up and, and I will for a little while. Ah, okay. We'll see. We'll see what everybody's we'll, up to. We'll see what happens. Um, well, thank you everybody for listening. Sorry, this was probably a little bit shorter than uh, that I know that I know a lot of you like, but uh, that's that's what we got for for you this time. Um, another final reminder that our next episode is our game of the quarter. It is Front Mission, which was originally released for the Super Famicom. Uh, play it if you want to, and send in our thoughts. Jay and I are both going to be playing it, and we will talk about that next time. Uh, mail at classicgamingpodcast.com, or you can uh, just send in your thoughts about whatever you want, such as blue shoelaces. <laughs> uh, we have, so in for the, for a while now we've been recording on Tuesday nights. My schedule has changed. I have stuff going on at night during the week now. So it's going to be like, Jay, we haven't really talked about this much, but it'll probably be generally Thursday or Fridays that, that we record from probably now Fridays. on. Yeah. Probably, uh, probably Fridays if that works better for you. Like I said, we haven't talked about it yet, but I, I will do whatever day works for you, basically. Okay. Um, but just for all of our listeners, just know that it's going to be a different day that you're used to us recording on. So get your emails in. Like, don't wait until, you know, Monday to get your emails in from now on because uh, it's not going to... Then you're going to have to wait for the next episode to hear them. <laughs> uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at King Octavius. You can follow us at Class Game Ca- at Class Games Cast. Please uh, check us out, or I'm sorry, leave us reviews on iTunes. That, that's that's very helpful for us. Also really helpful if you can just tell friends to listen to us, tell people you know to check us out. Um, we are part of the HP Video Game Podcast Network, and uh, we will see you guys in three weeks to talk about Front Mission and whatever else we've been playing then. So uh, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you then. Yes, see you.